Good morning, good morning. How is everyone? Good to see you on this beautiful Sunday morning. For those watching us online, welcome. So glad you're able to join us in worship today. Do have a few announcements about some things that are happening in the life of our body over the next few weeks. Very excited about. First off, a couple of years ago, we had this amazing event that many of you may remember called Gateways Got Talent. And it was a wonderful time uh, for many of you in our body, adults and children, to showcase the talents the Lord has given you. And we're doing it again. We're very excited about this. The uh, showcase itself will be on Friday night, April 5th at 6 p.m. However, before that time, the only way a showcase works is that people are on stage. Yes? <laughs> so we need you to participate. We, um, the only way it happens is for you to be involved. And so um, we just wanted to let you know on March 4th, Monday, March 4th, is going to be a time that you can come here to the campus um, to talk to our show director, who's my daughter, Haley Falcioni, um, to do auditions and to talk and to discuss uh, what you would like to do. The talent categories are vast. They're singing. You can play musical instruments, duets, monologues, dramatization of scripture, stand-up comedy, poetry, dance, videography. All that's encompassed. We did a little bit of all that last year. And uh, but, uh, we also, which I loved, Miss Lisa Glasscock is going to lead this. And we're also going to have an art showcase, um, which is open to all ages. The talent showcase will be from um, adults and children, third grade and up. But then when it comes to the art showcase, it's open for all ages. Uh, the art showcase we will put on display along the back and along the halls as much as we get. That can be anything from paintings to any other type of artwork. We have even had some amazing Lego displays last year that some of the kids put together that we use for the artistic showcase as well. So talent and art. But March 4th is critical. That is the night to come here um, to talk and to discuss and to do an audition. All of that to be registered online. We ask you to please go to gatewaybaptist.com to be able to register and get your name there so Haley can start making a list and then prepare that night accordingly to give you a time slot to be able to come in. Uh, the website, I'm sorry, the email for Haley and for Lisa are on the website for you to be able to contact them if needed. But we had a wonderful time two years ago. It was just great. And so we're very excited about that opportunity to be able to see the talents and abilities the Lord has given all of you. Secondly, just as a reminder, we mentioned this last week, uh, the father-son backpacking trip to the Sipsy Wilderness is happening on March 15th and 16th. Um, boys five years old and up are able to attend that with your fathers. Space is limited to about 20 max, so you can sign up on the website as well. Details and registration are there. And also, in a few weeks to come, a little over a month, we want you to prepare ladies. There's an opportunity for you to go to uh, Shaka Spring Retreat Center for a quiet women's retreat on April 12th and 13th. Uh, there will be an opportunity to have a private room. Meals are provided for an extended quiet time to be able to give you time to read and pray, to reflect and rest. And then there will be opportunities to come together as a group to encourage one another as well. And all the details and registration for that is on the website as well. And lastly, um, youth parents. We sent an email out this week for you. But any youth parent whose child is going to be participate with uh, the uh, Amplify Disciple Now weekend coming up next weekend, there is a meeting very briefly, but immediately following the service, please make your way over to the youth room, and there will be a meeting to prepare you for that weekend, some logistical things, scheduling uh, to prepare your students to get ready for that. We're very excited about our teenagers participating in that next weekend. So those parents of those kids, please, immediately after the first service, please go to the youth room. So let me ask you to please stand. 
And if we prepare our hearts for worship, before I read the scripture, um, I just felt led. I want us to, uh, in unity, to pray for our students, for those teenagers, um, as they prepare this week to seek the Lord and then to spend that time together. And then I'll read a couple scriptures over us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that our teenagers have this next weekend to be able to come together and share life together in community, to um, come together with many, many, many other churches and other youth groups over at Taylor Road for this opportunity to worship you together in unity, to be discipled, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be enlightened with your word, um, and also just to spend time together as they're going to be in host homes, and they will have opportunities to uh, be in small groups and to just dive in deeper to the teachings and have opportunities to just share um, some of their struggles and different things to be encouraged by uh, other friends in the group as well. So we pray, Holy Spirit, as you are preparing their hearts, even this week, uh, that they will be just ready to receive. And we ask for a spirit of conviction, Lord, and just to bring them to a place of intimacy with you and to reveal and surface those things in their lives that you desire to touch on and be able to deal with and encourage them with. We thank you for all the volunteers who have given their time, opened their homes to prepare for this, Lord. And we just want to see just a wonderful transformation in the heart of our teenagers. You have blessed us with an amazing group of kids. We love them so much, and we just want them to grow closer to you. And we just pray for that weekend to be blessed and for you to do a wonderful work in their hearts. And with that, Lord, we also thank you this morning that we could prepare our hearts to worship you in song and and in prayer. And we just pray this over us, Lord. Psalm 33, verses 1 through 5 says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in righteousness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's worship him this morning. Behold him. Behold him, robed in majesty, crowned with strength and glory. Holy is our King. Behold him, though the waters ring.
as we sing about your holiness that so often we don't have a sense of your holiness. The weightiness of that is so often lacking in our thoughts and our what we dwell on. And so I just pray that what we have just sung would be our prayer to you, that we would recognize in you your holiness and your sovereignty and that would forever shape how we live each day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We get the joy of celebrating a baptism as a church this morning. So in the tank here, you have Matt Butterfield, one of our teenagers, with his dad, Eric. And so let me just remind you at the offset why we do baptisms. Baptism is a public profession of faith in Christ. It's the way in the New Testament that you show you're a follower of Christ. It's not by walking down an aisle and shaking the pastor's hand and having the church clap for you. The way you profess to others that I know Jesus and his grace has changed me is through the waters of believers' baptism. Now, we baptize the way we do because it's a powerful symbol of saying, I believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross, that he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. And so it's a symbol of that confession of faith in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. But it's also a pronouncement of saying that because of Christ's grace pursuing me, I've died to my old way of life because of what God has done. He's raised me to walk in newness of life. But even more, church, you heard me say it before, this is also a testimony of the church saying, Matt, we see God's grace at work in your life, and we rejoice with you. And say, we're affirming that we see God's grace in your life, and we are celebrating with you in that today. Let me remind you what Jesus said at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And we get to celebrate and obey the Lord in that this morning with Matt. Now, Matt grew up in a Christian home. Many of you know his dad and his mom. He grew up hearing the gospel his whole life. But several years ago, the gospel went from being up here to being here. It went from just his parents' faith 
to his own faith. And over the last several years, as the gospel has brought fruit into his life, he realized he was ready to stand before you today and to say, I am a child of God. God's grace has gotten me, and I do believe, and I want you all to know that I am a child of God. And Matt, we rejoice with you in your profession of faith in Christ. Now, we want to give people an opportunity to say some words of encouragement to you before your dad baptized you. So I'm going to start right down here with your mom. So this is Trish. Matt, I am just so excited. I'm overcome. Um, just words cannot describe my uh, just joy that you are um, getting baptized today. First of all, I want to read a, um, a letter that your grandma, Nini, wrote because she wasn't able to be here. So she writes, Dear Matt, I am celebrating your baptism along with your church family and all the saints in heaven. Just as your name means you are loved by God. He demonstrated his love that before you were even born, he died for all your sins that you will ever choose to do. He has done it all, and there is nothing else you need to do to deserve his grace. When you received Jesus, you received his spirit who now lives in you. His seal has been placed in you, and your name has been written in the book of life. You have been called to be a disciple of Jesus. The baptism ceremony is a beautiful symbolism of us being present in death of our, self, our selfish self, leaving it behind as we rise up in new life with Christ. I encourage you to see Christ, his kingdom, his righteousness first every day, and God will be faithful in providing your needs for that day. Love, baby. All right, and it was only yesterday when you um, were dedicated here at Gateway, and a lot of our dear friends are still here present with you, and um, I want to read three verses that came to mind uh, for you. The first verse for you, Matt, is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. The second one is Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner of, for the Lord, urge you to walk in the manner worthy of, of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond, in the bond of peace. And lastly... 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. I love you so much, Matt. Thanks, Trish. I know some other friends may want to share. Okay, here we go. Let's go over to Ollie. Hey, man, I just wanted to give you some encouragement this morning. Uh, Philippians 2, 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um. I have seen through the many years of knowing you that the gospel has been in you throughout your whole life. And I'm very thankful I get to be here today to witness your baptism. Awesome. Thanks, Ali. Who else would like to share a word of encouragement to him? Hey, Matt. It has been such a pleasure watching you grow up into such a fine young man. I could not have handpicked a better friend for, 
for my own son than you. You are always so kind and inclusive to everyone. And you have a servant's heart, and it shows. I pray that the Lord will strengthen and continue to equip you with leadership skills that will make a difference in this world. Our world is in great need of strong, godly leaders who will stand up for what is right. Psalm 37.5 says, Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. I know that God has big plans for your life, and I can't wait to watch them unfold. Jessica. Hey, Matt. Um, what I have seen in you is that you are not only a sweet and kind um, young man, but you're such a sweet peacemaker. Um, and I've just watched that continue to grow and develop you in you in the time that we have known you. Um, and I'm just really thankful for the friend that you are to my boy as well. That's just a really sweet thing I've been able to enjoy since you were little. Um, and I'm so very grateful for what I see the Lord doing in you. Matt, I definitely can echo that too. Um, with the friendship, you're definitely the one that calms the room <laughs> when the things get really tense. Um, and that is a gift that the Lord has given you. But I also love that when Miss Trish and Matt are coming over, all of my kids are excited because you're not just Ollie's friend. You're my girl's friend too. And they're like, is Matt coming today? Is Matt coming today? Because you are able to um, play with all the kids, and they know that, and so they look up to you, and they're thankful for who you are in their life, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus in you pouring out to them, and it's such a gift. Hey, Matt. Um, I can definitely attest to the peacemaker. Um, whenever I meet all I get in a fight, you're always there to break it up. <laughs> um, you definitely been one of my oldest friends, um, and I thank you for that. Um, I came up with a last-minute verse to encourage you. I just found Galatians 5, 23. By the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. Against such things there is the law. I just want to tell you to follow these things um, and keep doing what you're doing. Anyone else want to share? CJ. I've watched you a couple stints, I uh, saw you when you were a little boy here, and then you left for a little while and came back, and it's just been an honor to watch this young man of God be formed and shaped in you, and just seeing the heart of a leader, um, you know, being working with the youth group, it's just been neat to see how the Lord has equipped you as a young man of integrity, and just a man who loves to serve, you serve through VBS as you help with the kids, and you even bless all your teenagers weekly and Wednesdays by baking cupcakes and cookies and just that servant heart. I mean, you just went out of your way. No one asked you to do it. And uh, I've just seen that in you. And I'm just excited to continue to see the, the leader that you're going to be in our group and in the years to come where the Lord takes you. So I'm just proud of you. Hey, Matt. I've known you just for a really long time now. And I'm, I want to congratulate you on this, this bold step and your walk in Christ. And just want to thank you for being my friend and my brother. Okay, any last one before Becky or Jordan, then we'll turn it back over to your dad. Hey, Matt.
Matt, I just wanted to let you know how encouraged I've been seeing you um, and interacting with you a lot in the youth group, uh, you know, helping lead a lot of the small group discussions. It's been really encouraging your love uh, for Christ first and foremost, but then your love for the world around us. Uh, it's, it's encouraging, you know, we we're, we're always can rely on you to, to bring up world events um, and the concern for Christians around the world. Um, and just, I, I like the, the fact that Elijah brought up the, the verse in Galatians about the fruits of the spirit because, you know, I definitely see that in you. I definitely want to encourage you to keep pursuing God um, and demonstrating those fruits of the spirit. Thanks, Jordan. Well, Eric, we're going to turn it over to you to the last word of encouragement for your son and then let you baptize him. Basically, at uh, you know, age six or so, I remember him professing faith. We used to read the Bible together at bedtime, so I know that was coming. But I, I think also at the same time, it's like, oh, well, with uh, you know, faith comes persecution, and you know, probably you know, pretty heavy-handed with some of my language. So you know, probably, you know, scared him a little bit about <laughs> baptism, uh, to be honest. But you know, the, the fact that he knows that and he's still you know, stepping forward in faith, uh, you know, I'm just proud of you, and uh, looking forward to seeing you continue to grow in your faith. So with that, I do have some questions for you. Okay. Uh, first, uh, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus um, lived a perfect life, that he um, you know, died for our sins, and that he rose again on the third day? Yes. Have you repented of your sins and trusted uh, Jesus uh, for faith for Trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yes. And when you uh, face God one day, will you enter into heaven based off of uh, the good works that you've done or based off of faith in Christ alone? Based off of faith in Christ alone. Okay. Based off of that profession of faith, uh, of faith in Christ alone, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We rejoice with Matt and that. William Foxmore Elder is going to come lead us in a prayer time now.
rise up and they they bring a smile to your face. But before we go further and pray, I just want to pause. I think we pause here and just uh, get our rights, uh, get our get our hearts right before you, Lord, and just pause and just ask you to forgive us. Verses remind, for you alone are holy and all the nations will come and worship you. We just pray that we can be a part of helping that to happen, that you can use us to reach out to those that are around us. We just lift up the folks that are ministering to individuals that are from some of those other nations that are here in the United States, the campus ministers, in particular the ones that deal with international students that are at universities and campuses around this nation that they are able to uh, speak your word to folks that may not have heard or may not have understood what it was. They can come to know you while they're here in the United States. Their locations have some level of foundation built so when they return home, they can carry you with them. We thank you for what you do in the lives of people, what you've done in, in Matt's life, for example, being baptized, but the changes that people are speaking about. They're how you have changed an individual, not how we can change ourselves. We just pray that in all of our lives, you're working to bring about those fruits of the Spirit and making our lives different because you are good. We lift up to you uh, the marriages that we have here at Gateway, and we just pray that you are building them on firm foundations. You are fostering a, a deeper love between individuals, husband and wife in those relationships. To, to serve one another as, as you have as you've served us. We are doing that for one another in those in those in those relationships. And that those relationships carry over from one another to how we serve our, our children and the, our family and the people who are around us. May you be present in our bright light in those relationships. We lift up to you people who are uh, preaching in other churches here. We lift up in particular Pastor Jones at Strong Tower Church, and we pray that you are bringing your word to that body of brothers and sisters this day. You are you are encouraging them, you are challenging them, and you are directing them in the way in which they should go and live their lives. We thank you for for him. We pray that uh, that you are doing the mighty work that you in this in this church this day. We lift up to you, Meskels ministry in Kenya. We pray for the 
children that you have in that school and, and uh, orphanage. And we just pray that your, your hand is, is uh, being able to reach them through the individuals who work there. Your truth is professed and lift high. God that's going over there. You are God beyond us. You are a holy and mighty God. We pray that they turn to you while they are young. We pray that same prayer for the young men and women that are here in our church body, that they will come to know you and to love you while they are young. You will draw them to yourself and you will show them love like they can know from no earthly parent the love that you have. We pray for people who are going through times, health times, relationship times, work challenges. I'm just reminded of that verse in Romans. And we know that all these things, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, that we are conformed to the image of his son. So we, we just pray for each of us, whether we're going through that now or not, that we just hold on to that knowing that you have purpose and you are working through those things that we do not understand and may never understand to, to conform us to your son, to make us more like you. We just lift up to you Brady this morning. Pray for him as he opens your word. Pray that we will have ears to hear and we will be just attentive and we will hear with our hearts and listen for what you would have us do as a consequence. We just lift these prayers up to you and precious and holy name, Jesus. Amen. Well, amen. And first to fourth graders who'd like to go to kids worship, you are dismissed. You have, for the first time this morning, Mr. Kevin and Miss Amy Lynn. So thanks about them jumping into the kids worship teaching team. So many of you guys have seen them greeting on Sunday mornings and we're excited they're going to be teaching you now for the next 30 minutes or so. Well, while the kids are on the move, if you'll find Genesis chapter 4 and your copy of God's Word or on your Bible app, Genesis chapter 4 this morning. Yes, we come to the beginning of a new chapter in our year-long study through Genesis this morning. But even as we start a new chapter, I just want to remind you that we're still in the first section of Genesis. That, the, um, that when Genesis was written by Moses, they wouldn't have the chapters and the verses that we have now. That this was not in there originally. Genesis originally was divided into ten distinct sections. Now, if you think back, I mentioned this early on in our study. There's ten sections and there's a Hebrew word called toledot that introduces each section. That gets translated for us, these are the generations of, and it tells us about the generations that come. We're still in the first toledot, the, still, the, the part of the generations, they start back from Adam and Eve, and it will continue on all the way through the end of chapter 4. This is the account of the first people in the world. Now, as we continue in the first toledot, this first section of Genesis here, uh, we come today to the account of Cain and Abel. An account that perhaps is familiar to many of you. It's an account of the first two children on earth. It's also the tragic account of the first murder in human history. And so, yes, friends, this is a historical account. But this is more than just a historical account. This was written for our instructions. It looks like we're having technical issues. So I'm going to flip over and read to you just to get us started this morning from Romans chapter 15, verse 4. To remind you why we look at these Old Testament texts. In Romans 15, 4, it tells us, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. For whatever was written in former days, that speaks to the Old Testament text, like what we're seeing in Genesis 4 this morning. What was written in former days was written for our instruction, that God in His grace has given us 
These Old Testament texts like this, like Cain and Abel, to instruct us, to instruct us of who God is, to instruct us of how to know God, to instruct us about his will, to instruct us of how to live for him. But it says in the end of Romans 15, verse 4 there, that we might, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So even the account of Cain and Abel is given to us, not just to instruct us, but to give us hope to give us hope in who God is and to give us hope in the faithfulness of God and the hope of his nature and the hope that we can know him. So as we come to the account of Cain and Abel, I want you to realize this is not a text we can look at and check out on going, well, I've never murdered my brother, though I may have thought about it. I'm okay here. This is not a text we can come to you and go, well, hey, I'm an only child. I only have sisters. Hey, this is not about my family. This is not for me. Or we don't, can't look at this text and go, well, we don't make sacrifices like this anymore. This isn't relevant for me. Rather, instead, when we come to texts like Cain and Abel, there's so much here for us to learn about who God is and how we approach God. So as we look at the account of the first brothers on earth and the first offerings ever recorded in Scripture, the account of the first murder, there's a lot of truth for us to see. In fact, there's so much here, we're going to spend three weeks working through chapter 4, and they count up Cain and Abel. As we begin this morning, we'll look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And there's a massive lesson for us in the beginning of the account of Cain and Abel. And this lesson is about worship for us. Because what we see here at the beginning of Genesis 4, and it'll carry on through the rest of Scripture, is the truth that God cares how we worship Him. Now, please don't miss that. God cares how we worship him. That is like the main thing that we need to see as we begin the story of Cain and Abel. Throughout Scripture, God makes clear that he is the one who determines what worship is. It's not up to us to dream up how we want to worship God. And God is the one who determines what is required of his worshipers, not us. It's not up for us to decide and vote on how we want to approach God. God cares how we worship him. Now, that's really important because that brings a sobering truth for us. Now, the truth is that not all worship pleases God. If God cares how we worship him and God prescribes what he requires in the heart of a worshiper, that means that not all worship pleases God. We can do external things. We can do even the right things and it not be pleasing to God. Now, that reality means it is possible that someone here today has done the externals. They've read their Bibles, they've talked about it in small groups, they've prayed the prayers, they've sung the psalms, they've served in different ways, they've even given to the Lord financially, but their hearts were far from God because they were not worshiping God with the heart that he requires. So as we begin Genesis chapter 4 this morning, the truth we need to see in this text is that God cares how we worship him. So as we read the first five verses, I want you to be looking for what is the difference in the way that Cain and Abel worship God. Because there's a very big difference in how they approach God. So what's the difference in how they approach God, how they worship God? But then for us, the lesson be looking for, what type of worship pleases the Lord? So Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I normally would tell you that it would be up on the screen. I'm not sure if it is this morning. But um, Genesis chapter 4, 1 to 5, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Now Adam knew his, Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your infallible, inerrant, unchanging word. Thank you, God, that you have revealed yourself to us. You've revealed these historical accounts because you desire to instruct us. 
You desire to teach us of who you are and what it means to know you and to walk with you. So I pray this morning that your text will be very alive in each of our lives. That your Holy Spirit would take your word and use it to be shaping us and molding us into the type of worshipers you desire for us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's begin with just what we see at the beginning of this text and what it's building to because there's a context here for us. Now, if you remember back to two weeks ago... Adam and Eve, who had lost faith in God and doubted God, they had recovered faith in God. God's grace had pursued them, and you see them now having faith in the Lord. And that faith has led them to pursue obedience. You think back earlier in Genesis, God had given them a command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But if you think about what followed after that, God has pronounced judgments on sin. And one of the judgments there would be pain in childbirth. And even though they knew there'd be pain in childbirth, they now pursue in faith obedience to the command of God to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So go back to verse 1 of our text this morning and see how it begins. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now there's a lot of firsts in Genesis here, and this is the first place anywhere in Scripture that we see a reference to sex and sexuality here. Because here you have Adam knowing his wife Eve in pregnancy and a birth that results. Now, sermon for a different day, but just realize here, from the beginning of Scripture, you see God's plan for sex. It's between one husband and one wife and the covenant of marriage. It's God's plan he establishes in Genesis. You see it throughout the rest of Scripture. And any expression apart from that is considered sin in Scripture. So that's not the main focus of the text. I just don't want you to miss that here, that you see modeled God's plan from the very beginning, that sexuality is reserved for the covenant of marriage. And here you have the first pregnancy that results from it. She conceived and she bore Cain. But one thing I don't want you to miss as you look at this verse here is to see Eve's faith. Because remember, we saw Eve, Adam and Eve, they walked with God, but then they doubted God, but we saw God's grace pursue them, and they were restored to having faith in the Lord. And you see Eve's faith in how she names her son. She bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. The emphasis here is on the Lord, that because of the Lord's intervention, she now has a child. She realizes that the pregnancy is a gift from God. She realizes this child is a gift from God. It's only possible because of God's grace. So even after the pain of the pregnancy, even after the pain of childbirth, her first response is, once again, because of God's grace, is one of faith, of saying the Lord is the one. He has the one who's done this. And so even though there's pain in pregnancy, pain in childbirth, pain in raising children, they still obey the command to be fruitful and multiply. Verse 2, and again, she bore his brother Abel. So again, they have now a second child. Now let's pause there. We're not told anything else about the childhood of Cain and Abel. This is one of those places I wish we knew more, but that's not what the Lord has given to us here. We don't know what they did as children. We don't know how they played together. We don't know how Adam taught them how to work. We don't know what their family life was like. We don't know where they live. We don't know how they learned the truth of who God was. That's not recorded for us. Why? Because that's not the point. Our curiosity might like to know things like that, but that's not the lesson the Lord has for us here. God has a different lesson for us, and it has everything to do with our worship of God. So the text jumps straight from their childhood to their adulthood and their vocations here. Verse 2, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Now they were outwardly obeying the Lord with their careers. Now think back from Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. This is the command that had been given to Adam and Eve. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. So this creation mandate was to work and to keep. And now outwardly you have Cain and Abel doing that. Go back to verse 2 this morning. And notice the choice of words here. Abel was keeping 
the sheep, and Cain was working the ground. They've been commanded to work and to keep, and so outwardly they are doing the very thing that God has told them to do. This reminds us again, a sermon for another day, but Scripture affirms the goodness of work. That's not the main idea here, but that's certainly a truth we don't want to miss on this. But the truth here for us is you can do those good things and have no regard for God. And that's what the text is pointing us to, is how these brothers viewed God. The only thing this text tells us is how they related to the Lord. Why? Because it was the most important part of their life. And for instance, the most important part of your life and my life as well. So this is why this text hones in on the offerings they present. So look at the offerings that Cain and Abel bring in verses 3 and 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat Portions. Now, just pause here. Go back to verse 3. Notice this word offering here. In the course of time, Cain brought the word an offering. Now, this is a really broad word in the Hebrew that this was written in. It refers to any type of gift that you give to the Lord. It's something you present to the Lord to show your allegiance to Him or your devotion to Him. Now, we're not told how they learned to do this. But it's obvious there had been instruction from the Lord given to them or instruction from the Lord given to Adam and Eve. It was then given to them because they both are coming before the Lord at some place to present offerings to them. Now, before we unpack what they're presenting, we need to see God's response because this is the most important part of these verses, and this is where we find the greatest lesson for us in this. Look at the end of verse 4 and then how it flows into verse 5. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, he, God, had no regard. Now, to regard something means to accept it. So perhaps we could translate it saying this way so God accepted the worship of Abel, but don't miss this, God rejected the worship of Cain. That's really important because we're in a world of individuals that says, I can approach God how I want to do here. And here we see God cares how we worship him so much so that he actually rejected the worship of Cain here. Now that raises two big questions for us. Number one, how did they know that God accepted their worship or not? How did they know that God was pleased or displeased here? Well, there's most likely one of two ways. Our text doesn't tell us, but one of two possibilities. Either first, God perhaps spoke it to them. He audibly spoke to them some way to confirm what worship was pleasing to him. He has been speaking to Adam and Eve in the garden. And in fact, in the very next verse, if you look ahead to verse 6, the Lord said, he spoke audibly to Cain, why are you angry? So there's a good possibility that God spoke to them and told them he accepted one and not the other. There's another possibility, and this is the one I tend to lean to in this text, that there was some visible manifestation, if you will, of God's acceptance of the offering. Because you see this happen in other texts in the Old Testament. For example, Leviticus chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Moses and Aaron went to the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Then verse 24, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. Now, can you imagine that if you're at this place, you present offerings to the Lord, you're standing back, and all of a sudden, boom, fire comes from heaven, from the altar here specifically, and it burns up the offering. It showed the people that God had accepted it, and when they saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces. And I think we probably would too if that had happened to us. You see this happen again in Judges chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. You see the same thing. The angel of the Lord God said to him, this is Gideon, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Verse 21, what happens? Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And what happens there is that fire would come out. Fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. So our text doesn't tell us how the Lord made it clear that he accepted the worship of one and rejected the worship of the other, but it was obviously very clear to them because you go back to verse 5 here. 
for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So, therefore, Cain realizes, therefore, Cain was very angry. And it wasn't just a little bit angry here. The Hebrew literally reads, it burned to Cain exceedingly. This wasn't just like a little bit of frustration. It burned to Cain exceedingly that God had rejected his worship. And it made him not only furious at God, but furious at his brother. So how did they know whether or not God was pleased? God and his grace revealed it to them in some way that we're not told exactly how. That leads to the second question, the important question of this text. Why did God reject Cain's worship? Why did God reject the worship of Cain? Because Cain was not out there in the field shaking his fist at God, saying, God, I hate you. He wasn't going, no, God, I'm not bringing my sacrifice. I'm not going to do it today. He wasn't outwardly rejecting God. He was outwardly obeying Genesis 2.15. He was working the ground, and he was bringing things before the Lord. So he had this outward appearance of some type of piety. So why did God reject it? There's been much debate among scholars as to why, and there's really two different views that are out there. And if you believe either one of these, you can be orthodox and love the Lord. You're not heretical if you hold to either one of these views. I'm going to tell you the one that I do not think it is first, though it's a popular view, and I'll explain to you why I think it's a certain one. Some people believe that the reason why God rejected this offering, and perhaps it's the one you've heard the most, is because there was no blood with it. There was no animal sacrifice. This is a real common view in understanding this text. And they would say that God established a pattern of sacrifice for sin, what we saw two weeks ago, when God killed the first animals and covered them with the animal skins. And they would say this was instructive for the sacrifices to follow. And you would see that throughout the years in the tabernacle and the temple, all the blood sacrifices made for sin offerings. And so they would say the reason why that God did not accept Cain's worship here was because it wasn't dealing with his sin. He wasn't coming with a sin offering. He was bringing things he had grown himself, and he was trusting his own works. So this was basically an offering of self-righteousness. Now, some of my favorite scholars hold to that view. So if you think that you're not heretical, it's okay. That's a real common view. That's not where I land on this text. Why? Because this text simply doesn't tell us that. In fact, in verse 5, go back to verse 5 here. For, for Cain and his offering, this word offering is the Hebrew general word for offering, minha. There's a very different Hebrew word for a sin offering, for an offering that required a blood sacrifice, and that was not used in this text. This, again, is a general word for any type of offering to show devotion to God. And so this text doesn't say that they were bringing sin offerings, they were just bringing devotion offerings to the Lord. As you see throughout Israel, there's different types of offerings. Yes, there's animal sacrifice offerings. Deuteronomy 15 verse 19 is one of those places. All the firstborn males that are born of your herd and flock you shall dedicate to the Lord your God. So we see throughout Israel's history a lot of these sin sacrifices of animals, but you also see throughout Israel's history plant offerings being used in worship of God. Exodus chapter 23 verse 16, you shall keep the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the fields the fruit of your labor. Exodus chapter 34, verse 22, you shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of gathering at the year's end. So you see throughout Israel's history, there are both types of offerings done, plant offerings and as well as animal offerings as well. So if it's not the type of sacrifice that's the issue here, why would Cain's worship be rejected and Abel's accepted? And that's the other view that I would hold to, that others would hold to as well, is, is God rejected Cain's worship for two reasons. Number one, God rejected Cain's worship because Cain lacked faith in God. That the core issue, this was not the type of the offering, but it was the heart condition of Cain and Abel, and Cain lacked faith in God. 
Now, I hold to this particular view because this is what the New Testament teaches us. We want to, when we interpret Scripture, to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And the New Testament actually tells us this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, in this beautiful text of the hall of faith of those who have gone before. Notice how it begins. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So do you see it there in this text right here? The difference between Cain and Abel was Abel came in faith, Cain did not. They both did external rituals of worship, but one did the externals from a heart of faith and one did not. Now the text makes it really clear two verses later what happens if we do not have faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we're told, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we're told two verses earlier that Cain did not have the faith that Abel had. That means that Cain was going to God in a way that would not please the Lord. He was trying to draw near to God without a belief that God exists and without a belief that God was really going to reward him for seeking him. That meant if there's no faith in Cain's heart, there's no amount of external things he could do to make up for his lack of faith. He did not trust in God. He did not trust that God changes people. He did not trust that God wanted to be known and that he could know God through God's grace and his mercy. In fact, Cain was so far from God. His heart was so cold to things of God. John describes him in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, and really a terrifying description of anyone. 1 John 3, we should not be like Cain, notice this, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Jesus says you'll know a tree by its fruit. You see Abel offering acceptable worship. We'll get to that in just a minute because he had a heart of faith. You see Cain with no faith still trying to do the externals to God and his heart is so far from God. It's not just he did evil things. It says he was of the evil one. Cain lacked a faith in God. And friends, if we're honest today, there's so many people, even in churches, who are like Cain. They want a God of their own imagination who requires little, who do not want a faith that's going to require them to change and be changed by God, who don't really care about intimately knowing God and are really indifferent to the thoughts of eternity with God, and yet they go through the religious motions. And this text is a warning for all of us because all of us can be that way, that God sees past the facades. God sees past all the externals and sees our heart. I want you to notice something in our text. Go back to verse 5 here. Because it wasn't just the offering that was the issue. It was the state of Cain's heart. Notice how verse 5 describes it here. But for Cain and his offering, he, God, had no regard. It wasn't just the issue of the offering. It was the issue of Cain itself. Cain himself was not accepted by God. For Cain, he, God, had no regard. That is a terrifying statement. This guy who is doing his work, outward obedience to the commands of the Lord, bringing things before the Lord, he himself is rejected by God because he lacks faith in God. It also means the converse is true in verse 4. And the Lord had regard, not just for Abel's offering, had regard for Abel himself. God accepted Abel as he came to him in faith. Now, friends, how could God make that determination? Because God sees everything. He sees the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. That's what it says. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And then verse 7 here, this is when they're picking out, Samuel's picking out Israel's king. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And by heart we mean our 
inner person, our affections, our thoughts, our motivation, our desires, the things that we cannot see of one another. God saw in Cain that we had all the external things right. He saw a heart far from him, a heart that was lacking faith and a heart that was evil. And friends, we need that reminder as well. Because whatever we've done this week, God has seen it all. Not just our actions, he's seen our motivations, our desires, our thoughts. He's seen our hearts. And the reality is, friends, none of us can see each other's hearts. I can't see what's in your heart, and you can't see what's in my heart. That means any of us can put on a really good show while harboring sin. We can put on a really good facade when our hearts are cold to God and when we're lacking in faith. But God sees all of that. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In fact, he sees our hearts so well. Look at how the psalmist describes it in Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, 1-4. This is a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. Verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. But not just our actions, he knows. You discern my thoughts from afar. Verse 3, he carries on. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all of my ways. You know why I do what I do and why I don't do what I don't do. Verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Friends, I don't know what I'm going to say in 30 seconds, and you don't either. But God does. And God knows what you're going to say to your boss tomorrow, to your kids tonight, to your friends tomorrow as well. He knows what you're going to think and say before you even do it. He searches the depths of us. And the God who sees inside of us requires our worship to not be external only. He requires it to be done in faith. So why did God reject Cain's worship? Because it wasn't done in faith. But there's a second reason in our text here why God rejected Cain's worship. And it's closely related. And that's because Cain lacked a love for God. Cain lacked a love for God. He was doing the externals, but his heart was not there. He did not love the God he was doing these things for. Now, where do we see that here? It's in a contrast in this text. Go back to verse 4 here. And there's what we're told about Abel's offering. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. Now, don't miss that. He brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions here. He brought the firstborn. Abel set aside the very best of what he had of the animals that he was working and keeping. He didn't just set aside the best of the animals. He set aside the best portions for the sacrifice. He set aside the fat portions, which at the time would be considered the best. So Abel gave the best of his animals and the best parts of the best of his animals. That is an expression of a heart that loves God and isn't going to give God the leftovers, the minimum, but wants to give God the very best. Now, what about Cain's offering? Now, notice the contrast. Notice what's lacking here. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So the issue here is not the type of offering. The issue is the heart that Abel brought the best and Cain did not. There's no mention here of first fruits, of giving it the best. In fact, in the Hebrew, there's a specific word for the first fruits of a harvest that are brought in. That's not what is used here. The word here indicates that Cain brought some of his crops. That means, friends, he saved the best for himself and he saved the first for himself. This is not a man who loved God. He did the bare minimum, saving the best for himself, because there was no heart for God in it. Now, it reminds you what God requires of people. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. You know this text well. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all your might. What God cares about is not so much all the externals that we cause to do things. He cares about the state of our heart and wants us to not only have faith in Him, He wants us to love Him because those are so intimately tied together. God knows my heart. God knows your heart. He knows right now if you are having faith and love for Him. This is why Jesus so strongly rebukes the religious leaders who do all this external piety, do all these external things, but their hearts are far from God. Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 to 9. Look at what Jesus says to them. You hypocrites. 
Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, now look at what Jesus said. There, Isaiah said, the people's hearts, uh, sorry, the people honor me with their lips. Their external things are right, but their heart is far from me. Verse 9, in vain do they worship me teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Jesus looked at people who outwardly are as religious as you could possibly be, and he says, you're saying the right thing, but your heart is far. Therefore, your worship is in vanity. It's futile. It's pointless. God does not receive the worship of those who are not walking in faith before him. So God sees our hearts. So why was Cain's offering rejected? Because he lacked faith in God, and he lacked love for God. Now let's try to bring that together. I think you've already seen this in this text. But here's the key truth I want you to see from this text. Not just that God cares how we worship him, but I want you to see this. That worship that pleases God comes from the heart of a person who trusts him and loves him. The type of worship that God desires of his worshipers are people who their worship is an overflow of their trust in him, their faith in him, and their love for him. For Cain, there was no faith in God. There was no trust in God. He was the evil one. He was still unregenerate and lost. There was no love for God in his heart. He just did the external things that were expected of him. But for Abel, he went above and beyond. He gave the best to the Lord because he loved the Lord and had faith in the Lord. His worship was an overflow. Worship that pleases God comes from the heart of a person who trusts him and loves him. Now, friends, that's a sobering reminder, an important lesson for us. Because the external things do not give us favor with God. We only come before God because Christ's righteousness has been given to us and we are forgiven. And yes, God calls us to do external things. Yes, the scriptures call us to worship God, to serve him, to give to the Lord, to do all these things. But those are not sufficient if our hearts are not right with him. God is going after my heart and your heart. And God wants our hearts to have faith and trust in him and to have hearts that love him. Worship that pleases God comes from the heart of a person who trusts him and loves him. Now, I want you to see one more time Hebrews 11 for us. Go back to that text for one more minute here. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. There it is, justification by faith. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, that is a profound ending of that verse. That even though he's died, he still speaks. Now, think about this. We'll come to this in two weeks that Cain kills Abel because he's so, so, so angry here. Which means something fascinating for us that we'll unpack in two weeks more. Do you realize that means Abel was the first person to enter heaven? Because he predates his parents and he's the first human recorded scripture who died. And here's one who is justified by faith in God because of God's mercy. So he gets to be the first redeemed sinner to enter heaven. That just blew my mind thinking about that one this week. You can ponder that one and chew on that. We'll unpack that more in two weeks. But notice this. Even though he died, he still speaks. He's still teaching us today. In other words, Abel's life is an example for us of what God wants in his people one who has faith in God, who trusts God's word, who trusts God's promises, who trusts the nature and the character of God, one who has a love for God, who wants to know God and wants to give his best for God because he knows how wonderful God is and whose worship then flows as an overflow. Not saying they're doing out of habit or ritual, but whose worship flows from a heart that has faith in and trust in and love for God. And so Abel's testimony teaches us, but it begs us the question as he still speaks. And the question I believe that is begged of us by this text and by Abel's testimony is this. Are we approaching God like Cain or like Abel? Am I approaching God like Cain or like Abel? And are you approaching God like Cain or like Abel? Friends, in this story, I think when we read it, we want to see ourselves as Abel, don't we? We want to see ourselves as the one who's doing right before the Lord and God accepting us. I doubt really many of us have read this text and be like, hey, I'm like Cain here. 
None of us kind of picture ourselves as Cain when we read texts like this. But if we're honest, friends, we are a lot more like Cain than we like to admit it. Because how often have I and how often have you done the external things expected of us when we were really not walking in faith? We went through the Sunday morning motions, the Wednesday night motions, whatever we're doing at home. We do the right external things, but in our hearts we're doubting God's word. In our hearts, we're not really believing in God's character and his nature. We're not trusting in the promises of God. And particularly, we're not even trusting what God says about sin patterns in our life. How often have we done the external religious things when we're really not wanting God to be Lord over us? And we're harboring secret sins or continual sin patterns that we're not repentant of. We're not seeking God's grace to change us. We're doing the right external things, at least before other people, but our hearts are not walking in love before the Lord. And how often have we done the right external things when our hearts were cold to God and we put on a good show before others because it was expected of us, because we were more worried about what people thought than what God thought? Friends, are we approaching God like Cain or like Abel? Are we approaching God doing what is supposed to be done externally? Or are we approaching God with a heart that's overflowing with faith in and love for him? That raises one last question for us, friends. What do we do if we say, you know, honestly, my faith in, my faith in God is weak and my love for God is weak? What do we do if we realize we're more like Cain than we want to admit? Two things. First of all, friends, we need to make sure we really know God. We need to make sure we know him. Cain is the first unbeliever in Scripture. He's the first lost person recorded for us in Scripture who had the truth given to him, but he did not embrace it. It never made it from his head to his heart. He could give you the right answers. He was doing the right things, but it never made it to his heart. And the Scripture does not show us any evidence that Cain actually turned to the Lord. He was of the evil one. And though he had the right answers, it wasn't real to him. The world has been full of Cain's ever since. We'll come to that later in chapter 4 and 5 as we begin to see the genealogy. But the reality is even in the church there may be some Cain's that are still here today. And if that is you, friends, if you may have the right look on the outside, but you know in your heart there's no faith and love for God. If that's you, you need to run to God and run to him in saving faith. The scripture tells us everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So run to the Lord in repentance for your sins because he sees your heart. But if you say, no, I am a believer, I know that God is for me, I've experienced his grace, but my heart is not where it needs to be, my faith is too weak, my love is too cold, what do you do? You quit hiding it from God and from others, and you be honest with the Lord about where you are. God knows where you are, and he's pursuing you. He gives you texts like this to chase after you in his grace, to draw you closer to himself, and to open your eyes to what he desires of you. And perhaps your prayer needs to be what the guy in Mark's gospel said in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, dealing with the unclean spirit being casting out of his child. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And I love that and feel like that so much often needs to be our prayer. Like, Lord, I've experienced your grace, but you know my faith is weak. God, I've experienced your grace, but my love for you is not what it needs to be. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So, friends, if that's you, if you're going, yeah, I am more like Cain than I want to admit, what do you do? You run to the Lord and be honest about it. Talk to him. He welcomes you in his grace because your acceptance by the Lord is not based on how perfectly you worship or how warm your heart is to the Lord. It's based on what Christ has done for you. So as one accepted by God, you can run to the Lord where he will come and meet you where you are and transform you and draw you closer to himself. Friends, worship that pleases God comes from the heart of a person who trusts God and loves God. Can that be said of you this morning? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your unchanging word. We thank you that you give us things like this for our instruction, for our encouragement, and for our hope. And Lord, we know ever since Cain, this is what human nature is so often like. And Lord, I recognize in a room with this many people, there may be some who are like Cain this morning, children and adults both, who perhaps are doing the right things. And outwardly, we would go, wow, they live moral lives. Or, oh, wow, look, they're very dedicated to the church. And outwardly, there's so much that looks right. But we see 
their hearts. This morning, they're like Cain. I pray, God, you would just pursue them and chase them down in your grace and not let them leave this place still lost in their sin. But I pray that you would meet them and that their faith would be, would be born in them because of the work of your Holy Spirit. Just like we saw with Adam and Eve when you pursued them and pursued them and pursued them. And then you brought faith to them to where even in the midst of the pain and the judgments and the curse, they now have faith and believe and are walking with you. Lord, I pray that might be said of those this morning who are here have yet to believe, that you would put in their hearts this morning a deep faith in you and a love for you that would forever radically change them so they can say that I am a child of God. Well, for those of us who know you, whose grace has gotten a hold of us, you know, Lord, how quickly our hearts can grow cold. Or do you know how quickly, Lord, our faith can waver? And so, Lord, I pray our prayer would be like that if we saw in Mark just a moment ago. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, help us not put up facades. We can't impress you with facades, and Lord, we may be able to hide it well from others, but Lord, would you help us see that we can be real with you, and we can be real with one another. We'll say, Lord, I need help. Lord, my faith is not what needs to be. Lord, my love for you is not what needs to be. Lord, come meet me where I am and change me. Give me that transforming grace. Lord, would you guard us from putting up walls to protect ourselves, but help us be real about where we are with you. And Lord, for the many I know in this room who have a deep, deep faith in you and a deep love for you, Lord, I pray you would just encourage them in that this morning that they would see that they are accepted not because of anything they do, but because of what Christ has done for them. And I pray that because they've tasted and seen your goodness to them, that they would want even more of it. So, Lord, you know where we are. You know the state of each one of our hearts. And so, Lord, as we sang earlier, here's our heart. What else can I say to you? Lord, there's nothing we can hide from your ever-searching gaze into our lives. So meet us right where we are. Give us conviction, Lord, where we need conviction. Lord, give us encouragement where we need encouragement. And I pray as a result of your Holy Spirit working in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters that this week we find our faith getting strengthened, our love for you growing. And Lord, that it would be an overflow of worship to you all week long because of your grace that is establishing faith and love in our hearts. Would you do it for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name? Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song and think about the only hope we have for all this in Christ? gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to Him. Oh, how strange and divine I can see, all is mine and not I, but through Christ. is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side, the Savior, He will say, I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, 
salvation, our only hope for growth and godliness, 
our only hope for eternity with you, our only hope to have our faith strengthened, our only hope to have our love for you increased is your work in us. And so Lord, I pray this week we wouldn't strive harder on strength to grow our faith. We wouldn't strive harder and have that white knuckle determination to try to love you more. I pray this week we will fall on our face before you and say, Lord, help grow me. Make me into who you want me to be. Lord, I pray this week that we would be able to say, not just with our lips, but our lives, that our hope is in you and in you alone. So Lord, come work in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters to be forming us and shaping us more into the image of Christ. We ask you to do it, Lord, for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.